May 12th, 2022. This morning's class and the classes throughout the week are dedicated in memory of Norman Esses Alav HaShalom by Joey Esses and family. Uh, a few uh, before we begin, and we'll begin in Masechet Sanhedrin and Daf Samech Zayin Amud Bet, in the wide lines, if you count down, you could do this as we're talking, 12 lines, since the second word on the line, the Gemara will begin for us, Amara uh, Vasheh, it'll continue in the conversation of Mechashefa Kishuf, this prohibited witchcraft and sorcery. But before doing so, I realized that uh, we never mentioned not that it per se has such a significance, but it's part of the Gemara. On Amud Aleph, on Daf Samech Zayin Amud Aleph, when we finished the Sugya, the Gemara, which was talking about Mesit, about the person who lures another or a few others into Avodah Zarah, the Gemara, although it's not on our page, once upon a time had a version which is now censored from the Gemara. It's as the pastime was, it's on the side of my page in the Gemara, but I don't think it's in your Gemara, so I just sent it to the WhatsApp group. If you open it up over there, you'll see it. It's, uh, on, again, at the end of that sugya, which is talking about a mesit. Now, you might remember the last reference we had in the censored version of the Gemara to Yeshua HaNosri was in this context as well of mesit, that his being judged to death and being punished with death was as a result of his status as a mesit. This Gemara as well, although it doesn't refer explicitly to him as such, is traditionally understood as being censored out because it's either referring to him, as you'll see in just a moment, or alternatively to someone similar to him of, call it the beginning Christians. Uh, so here, if you'll follow with me, it says, Again, the reference in the Gemara was that we are orvin alav, if you recall. It's good Jared's not here, because I thought we were past that, but we'll quickly return to that. In a circumstance of a mesit, will ensnare the person, will hide the witnesses, they'll catch him in the moment in which he's speaking and trying to convince others to Abu Dazaran, catch him, bring him to Betin. Says the Gemara in its, again, sur- uh, censored version, V'chen asu leben satida belod. And so too they did to this individual, Ben Satada. That doesn't say Yeshua Hanosri, it says Ben Satada. But the assumption, as you'll see from the details in just a moment, is perhaps it's a reference to it. It was in Lod, in Eris Israel today, where we have the airport. Vitaluhu, and he was hanged on the eve of Pesach, which of course is identical to the details we had in the storyline of Yeshua Hanosri in the past. So, so too they did. They were Orev, they got him to speak, they had witnesses, they grabbed him, and they brought him to Betin. Then, in a seemingly unnecessary uh, digression, the Gemara questions his name. Says the Gemara Ben Satada, is this individual really known as Ben Satada? Uh, so asks the Gemara Ben Pandirahu, wasn't he the son of a person known as Pandira, Amar of Hasta, Baal Satada, Boel Pandira. Says the Gemara, the truth is his mother's husband's name was in fact Satada. As a result, we refer to him as Satada. But his mother's lover, the affair that she committed in order to produce this child, was Pandira. So again, just the details, we refer to him as the son of Satada. The question of the Gemara, of this individual who was a Mesit and put to death by the Betin of his time, by the Sanhedrin of his time, his father, we thought we referred to him as Pandira. The answer, Pandira is the Bo'el, the Baal, the husband is Satada. Says the Gemara, that's not true either. Baal, Papos ben Yehudahu. 
his mother's actual husband, husband, his name was Papos, Ben Yehuda. Ela Ema, rather it should instead say, Imo, his mother's name was Satada. His mother was Satada. So we got three characters now, or four. We have this individual, we'll call him Yeshu for argument's sake, although the censored version doesn't even mention his name as such. We have his mother's name, what are we naming her? Satada, and as a result we refer to him as the son of Satada. We have his father's name, Papos ben Yehuda, and we have the affair man's name, and his name was Pandira. Says the Gemara, was his mother's name really Satada? Imo, Miriam Megadela his mother was Miriam, of course. That's another one of those signs that it appears as if we're referring to Yeshua Nosri, Miriam sounding very much like Mary. Now, the description of this Mary, of this Miriam is Migadela Nishaya, the Gemara Masechet Hagigan. Dafdalid and those whereabouts has a description, or those whereabouts has a description of this woman. She used to braid women's hair. The details of such. Not necessary to us, but that's the reference. She was known as Miriam, the hair braider. Well, that being the case, where did we get this name Satada? The father's name, Papos. The Boel's name, uh, Pandira. Who's Satada? His mother's name is Miriam. Answers the Gemara, Satada was the, was the derogatory name that the Jews, that the rabbis gave to the mother. Why so? Satita da mi ba'ala listot, similar to the lashon of sote or sota, means to veer offward. She veered away from her husband. In other words, her name may have been Miriam, she was the Megadela Neshaya, we refer to as Satida. As a result, as the Gemara concluded that comment and that sugya, it referred to this Ben Satada, referring to the derogatory name of his mother. When all the dust settles, did that really educate us to a large extent? Not per se. Why was it in the Gemara? They're derogatorily speaking about him mentioning there are so many men, men involved in his life, his mother's actions and wrongdoings and so forth, certainly dispelling of any notion of there was a miraculous birth, instead it wasn't a birth from a husband, it was a terrible birth from another. That's how that Gemara concluded, nothing more and nothing less to that. One last note before we come back to our Gemara, Tafsamech Zainam Mudbet, 12 lines down, is the Gemara on the first wide line here in Tafsamech Zainam Mudbet. If you recall, the Gemara on the first wide line had this statement of Rabbi Hanina, in contrast to Rabbi Yohanan, who seemed to talk about mechashefa as this compound word is makhishin kohan shel pamalya shel ma'ala, that the mechashefa, the witchcraft, in some way or fashion diminishes, weakens the legions of above. Rabbi Hanina, in contrast, Rabbi Hanina says, en od milivado, pasuk says, there's no other aside from him. Afilu even lidvar keshafim, and then even for matters of witchcraft, you can't impinge, you can't enter into the domain of God and his activity and will in this world. The Gemara then told a story, if you recall very briefly, about Rabbi Hanina. Rabbi Hanina, there was a woman who wanted to take the, the dirt from, his, from underneath his feet in order to commit witchcraft against him. He, not literally, but maybe literally, laughs at her and says to her, Fadali, go for it. Can you pull this one off? I have to tell you, in od milivado, there's no other aside from him. You're not going to affect me. And if you're going to affect me, 
it wasn't you, it was HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. It's interesting that we described and explained that Gemara in its most simple explanation yesterday because the Gemara then challenges it from Rabbi Yohanan and answers that Rabbi Hanina was different because Nafish Zichuteh, he had many merits, he was a Sadiq Gamor, the words we mentioned yesterday. There's a well-known tradition and it finds itself in Nefesh HaHayim of Rabbi Hayim of Alajan and Sha'ar Gimal that uh, this Gemara should be a little bit tweaked in terms of its interpretation, if I remember this all correctly, and that is that it's a description in moments of danger as such of Rabbi Hanina that he tapped into a mindset and a cognition of enod milevado, which means to say, not an amulet and not a charm, but by focusing your energies entirely in moments of threats, external threats, even internal threats, on the oneness, on the singularity, on the powers of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that is your charge to success. It's as a result, I've told about uh, the Briskarov, about Ravelvo Salvechik, as he was escaping the Nazis in, uh, in Europe and on his way ultimately to Eres Israel, he and his family uh, had many dangerous moments. His son, who just passed away last year, David Salvechik, spoke more than once and described, I read it, I never heard this from him, but I read it in his name and in stories that he told about how his father taught the children to in those moments concentrate themselves entirely on in od milevado, a focus on the singularity, power, and control of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So again, it's not to say, so to speak, either Bihaninah's elevated status was his get out of jail free card. Well, I have nafish zechute. As a result, nobody's going to touch me. It was rather his ability because he had nafish zechute, because of his control over mind, soul, and spirit, to focus singularly on in od to be successful in those moments, not an easy thing to accomplish. I know the bumper stickers have us believing that enod milevado is something we can sing about and just achieve some sort of elevated breast love uh, status, but at its core, there's a real truth to this. More than once in teaching Harambams Moren Vuchim, people walked in, people who didn't have uh, much of an understanding of the Moreh. And what they would always comment on, I found this invariably, was the last of Sha'ab Gima, the very end of Harambams Moren Vuchim, in which he focuses on Shiviti Adonai Lenegdi Tamid, in which he focuses on the goal, the aspiration of each person to come to that moment of full understanding and constant cognition and thought of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's involvement in your life. More than once the claim was, can you imagine, with a chuckle, Harambam, the rational of rationalists, and he and Nefesh HaChayim, the Kabbalists of Kabbalists, speaking a singular vision and description of bringing ourselves, and I mention this again in context of our Gemara, bringing ourselves to a state and time in which we feel his presence in all that we do. Not easy, very hard to wrap your head around, you get stuck in the externals and even internal challenges of life. But to get to that, Rabbi Hanina, according to this explanation, is stating that is not you get out of jail free card, but it is your direction. It is your power to overcome. It is your tapping into truth, into reality as it truly is. That's the end of Milivado. Yes. They stoned him and then hanged him. Yes. Yes. So that's 
Is that strangulation when you hang somebody after? No. No, no, it's just hang, it's just hanging for the people to see. Nothing more. The Torah is already admitting to the fact that it's okay, maybe appropriate to hang afterwards as a sign, but you don't leave it, as the Mishnah tells, the Gemara tells, you don't leave it for an extended period. It wasn't that he was killed by hanging. Yes. Says the Gemara, and again, the Chena Asu means, and so they did. It's talking about Sikilai, even though we skipped that detail in the censored version over here. Okay, says the Gemara, again, 12 lines from the top, the second word on the line says the Gemara, Amara Vashe Hazina le le Avuha de Karna. Says Ravashe, I saw Hazina la Hazot beno Madonai la Hazot means to see. I saw the father of Karna. Karna is one of the Emoraim. The story we're about to tell about Karna's father, very briefly, this anecdote, is not all too exciting for uh, someone to talk about another person's father committing and being involved in witchcraft. Rashi quite clearly states. Karna's father was a mechashif, he was a sorcerer, okay. But Karna overcame the uh, challenges of his home. Alternatively, Yad Rama, other Rishonim and Mifashim suggest that what we're about to read about in Karna's father is similar to what we'll read about on Daf Samachet Amud Aleph, Rabbi Li'ezer's teachings to Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Li'ezer taught Rabbi Akiva how to do witchcraft and sorcery as a means and methods for educating. It wasn't as a way of affecting reality, but educating him, this is how it works. So as a result, we're either looking at this and saying, eh, Karna's father, look at what he did, or alternatively, look what he did. He was able to educate others. Anyway, says the Gemara Ravashe, says he saw the father of Karna, the Napitz. Napitz explains it as she is, he cracked his nose, or he moved his nose violently with his hand, and as a result of cracking his nose, Vishaddeh, he brought forth, he threw out of his nose, Kiriche de Shira'e, which means to say Shira'e is a fabric, is, is clothing. Kiriche means patches of it. He brought out portions of clothing from his nose. That's called Kishuf. That is Kishuf Bema'aseh. That is a wrongful activity which is prohibited from the Torah. Now, if it's being done in the context of education, as it be the Ezer and Akiva, and perhaps this one according to some, so then maybe it's permitted. But why we mention Ya Gemara? We're mentioning the different Emoraim who saw several strange actions and either attributed or doubted whether this was what we call kishuf or not. He brought forth shira'eh min means from his nostrils. Okay, says the Gemara onward, it cites a pasuk. Now that we're talking about kishuf, now we're talking about these strange, out of this normal world stuff. So we talk back about Egypt, where they're filled with astrologers and mechashifim. Vayomeru hartumim el paro etzba elohim hi. When there's the makav kinim, of the lies, they turn to Paro, and for the first time they say, this is the finger of God. We see there's a God involvement. This isn't being performed through standard, traditional Egyptian kishuf. That's what the sorcerers of Paro tell Paro. Says the Gemara, why kinim? What was it about the makav kinim that convinced them that this isn't sorcery? Uh, perhaps we can derive from this that a shade of this uh, demonic power and force, which you might tap into, as we talked about yesterday, in the context of a quasi mechashefa, can't create entities and beings that are smaller than a se'ora. Se'ora is what? A, 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 a barley kernel, right? So something very small. And the description being the creations, for one reason or another, can only be grander and greater. If there was the kinim, which is so small, so tiny, being created, clearly 
that wasn't from tapping into demonic shed powers. Says the Gemara, wait a second, are you telling me that if it's a creation larger than a Sa'ora, larger than that kernel of barley, they could create? Come on. They can't actually create. They could do kishuf, but they can't create. Rav Papa Amar, Ha'elohim! When you refer in that Gemara in that fashion, that's how you have to read it. He's an exclamation. I was like, well, oh my God! You know, people say it like that, that's what you have in the Gemara. I can't believe he just said that, seriously? Even if it's the size of a camel, even if it's a creation which is large with, I don't know, humps and hooves and all that sort of stuff, they can't create that. It's not just small entities that the Mechashefim with a shed can't create. They can't create anything. What are you talking about, Av Papa? Didn't you watch the show yesterday? Didn't you see them do something of that sort? They don't create those small entities, but the larger, he says, no, it's all not actual creation. It's a question of whether they can get it there in an appropriate fashion. If it's small, weak entities like Kinim, it's hard to carry it or to summon it from wherever. If it's something larger, there's more energy and stamina, it's easier to bring forth. But neither one of them are being created by the Mechashifim with Shid. Hai, when you're dealing with the larger entity, the camels, the anything larger than the Sa'ura, Michnifle. He's able to gather it. He's able to bring it forth. Not that he's creating it. The alternative, the smaller one, he's not able to because, says Rashi, the diminished stamina and power of smaller entity and beings not able to summon that forth. Matters and issues, which I remind you, I'm sorry, you're at the wrong place if you want a full understanding of these matters because I don't have it. Says the Gemara, what can I tell you? Amar le rav Rav turns to Rabbi Hiya and tells him, Lididi, I, Hazili, I saw, Hahu Tayya'a, when the Gemara refers to a Tayya'a, it refers to an Arab merchant, generally speaking. The Shakle, he took, Le Safsira, a knife, a butcher's knife of some sort, the Gayede, Le Gamla, and he chopped up a camel. I was watching it. I saw him with a knife chop up a camel. Oh, so far there's no witchcraft, no sorcery. V'taraf le'betabla, and then he took a bell and he rang it. V'kam, and the and the and the camel came back to life, or had life, got up. It had been chopped up. Rang a bell. I mean, how do you explain that? Amar le asks Rav just explain to me exactly what happened. I want to determine whether this was witchcraft or ahizat einaim was the sleight of hand which is also prohibited under certain circumstances. The Mishnah told us, the Gemara told us, Patura Valasur, it's prohibited but it's not Mechashefa, it's not Sekila. I want to determine, he says, Lebatar Hache, after the camel got up, maybe walking around, maybe braying, Dam Uparta Mihavai, did you see blood on the ground, on the body? Did you see any extractions from the body, any sinews, anything of that sort of stuff? Was that around? So the answer apparently is no. There was none. He says, then that wasn't sorcery. He says, that wasn't witchcraft. He says, He says, if there wasn't blood, so he didn't actually take something that he, so to speak, killed and chopped up and then brought it back. He didn't do such a thing. It appeared as if he did such a thing. The telltale sign would be, says Rabbi Hiya, if you were able to see something a remnant of what took place earlier. If you don't, clearly he caught your eye somehow. 
How would a person affect such an achizat einaim? Well, one of two ways. Either it's mamash the mechashefa achizat einaim. We have no concept of such. Alternatively, this is, it's probably not, but the achizat einaim, which is per- permitted potentially, as we discussed yesterday. And for the answer to that one, you have to speak to Copperfield or something like that. Says the Gemara onward, Zairi iklal Alexandria shel Misraim. Zairi, who is another one of the Imoraim uh, from the Gemara, he iklal. Uh, he visited Alexandria, Alexandria of Egypt. So he's in Alexandria. Now keep in mind in the Torah, Egypt is filled with sorcery. Historically, Egypt is filled with sorcery. The time of the Gemara, Egypt is still filled and sorcery is rampant. Zavan Hamra, he went to buy a donkey. Or he's there and he buys a donkey in Alexandria, Shel Mitzrayim. Kimatale Ashkuya, when he's up to giving the donkey mashke, is giving water, drink to the donkey. Now before we move onward, I want you, I don't know, I want you to think for a moment, uh, you know, it's, it's hard not to reflect, on the stories of witches that you were told or saw as a child, uh, maybe still see, I don't know what people are involved with. And the witches, generally speaking, are melted by water, are they not? Witchcraft and sorcery, historically, and it starts or continues in our Gemara, water has a way of doing away with what appears to be reality. Something was crafted to catch your eyes, it appears, it has the facade as if it's real, throw water on it, we could discuss why water in a moment, it will melt it. Let's discuss it now. Water symbolically and in reality has a way of effacing matters. The world begins with water all over, you have no form. Water as well during the Mabul has a way of wiping out existence. Till today, water, you look at the ocean, it appears as if everything's clean. It has a modern sleek look. There's a lot going on underneath, but to our eyes there's nothing. It's for that reason as well. We talk about the Dagim Shabayam being below the Ayin Hara, any ability to be affected because they're under the absolute matter of existence. Water as a result, theoretically, existentially will be the element of which, or elements, right, H2O, that you'll throw onto something to efface it. As a result, he gives this animal, which he appears, he believes, is real, water to drink, pashar. What happens? The animal melts. Vikam gamla duskanita, and instead, a plank to a bridge appears. So there is Zairi, and he says, I got zaft. I got ripped off. I just paid good money for a donkey. I gave it a little bit of water to drink, and what is it? It's a plank to a bridge. He turns back to the merchants, to the people who sold it to him, yelling at them, you sold me a plank for a bridge. I thought it was a donkey. I want my money back. Amrule, they say to him, in truth, you're a good guy. You have a good reputation. We can't say no to you. Ilav zi'iriat, if your name and reputation was not zi'iri, if we didn't want to mess with you, we would tell you to take a hike. But you've got that reputation. Why would you tell me to take a hike? We wouldn't give you your money back. Why not? You ripped me off. That's, an extra, uh, that's a, uh, a, a question, a, a rhetorical question. Is there anyone who buys 
things here in Alexandria, and doesn't check it beforehand with water. Everybody knows sorcery, witchcraft is rampant in Alexandria of Egypt, say the merchants to him. This is not a mekah ta'ut. You should have done your research. If you walk into one of these stores which are selling chargers for phones, you have to assume that the charger for the phone is not a verified Samsung or Apple charger. You have to assume that it's going to get all heated in the wall and cause you all sorts of issues. You can't come back and say, I was ripped off when you bought the item that says Rolex outside of the train station for $15. Mi'ika, does anyone believe that? That wasn't a Mecca ta'ud. You should have known. So the fact, but you're Zairi, you're a good guy, you're uh, perhaps a high reputation, there's a lot at stake, we'll give you your money back. That's the story of the Gemara. Gemara continues, Yanai. Rashi points out, not Rabbi Anai. We're about to tell a story which is not exciting about him, not very uh, flattering. We're assuming this is not the Rabbi Yanai. It's rather a person who's Yanai, maybe involved in witchcraft and, and sorcery. Not our Rabbi Anai. Ikla lehahu ushbiza. He visited some inn, some, some motel. We know that from Ushpizin, of course, on Sukkot and maybe elsewhere. He, he now visited, visits an uh, a, a inn, a place where they're lodging him. Amar lehu, he turns to the, to the people in charge and he says, Ashkin maya, can you please give me some water to drink? Karivu shatita. They come forward with water which has its shatitara, she explains, some kemah in it, which means to say some flour in it. I don't know if that's the way they used to sometimes drink their water. Maybe they didn't want it to be some way too clear, too clean. Maybe it was an order. I don't know. But that's what they're bringing forward to him. Hazad hashan He sees lirahesh means to be uh, whispering. Safateh, of course, her lips. He looks at the uh, matron and as she's walking forward, her lips as she's holding this uh, kemah water, this, uh, this uh, flower water, her lips are, are moving. He understands there's something amiss over here. There's something in the air. She's pulling a fast one on me. Shada purta he takes, he throws, purta means a little, mine from it, from the cup of water, havu akrabe. So he throws it onto the floor and he sees scorpions. He understands, she tried to kill me. She tried to give me fake water, water that would have hurt me. Amar lehu, he turns and he's got a plan. Now again, not Rabbi Yanai, but Yanai. And so he's got a plan on getting them back. What's that? Doesn't say. Doesn't say. I don't know. I don't know where this Yanai was. As what's, what's the difference? Amar lehu, he turns to the uh, hosts and he says to them, Anashatai, I just drank, didn't I? Now they don't realize he didn't drink. They didn't see him throw it on the floor and see that it's scorpions. Mididhu, from you, Atun, you guys now, Nameshatu mididi, can you drink from me? And he's got a plan. He's going to take them down. You tried to take me down. Right back at you, Ashkiya, he uh, then gives them to drink. Havai hamra, she, the woman who had been serving him the water, and she drinks the water from Yanai, which he, I guess, does his own business on, she turns into a donkey. So he's looking at now Miss Donkey, who had earlier tried to kill him. What's he going to do with this donkey? Rachva. He mounts her. Is it the same water? Mava'alef. Let's say it is. That's how they translate it? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he. No, I thought he was saying it's the same water, and he spoke to it differently and turned them. Regardless, no, I imagine not. So she now turns into a donkey, and he's riding her. He's riding around town 
on his former host, hostess, who's a donkey now. Salik leshuka. That's right. Okay, go home today to your wife before you go to work and tell her what you learned about in the Gemara. All right. Salik leshuka. She goes out and he goes out into the marketplace. Atahavrata. Her friends come. I guess they realize. I see something in the eyes of that donkey. It doesn't say. I don't know why they become possessed to the extent that they say something's wrong with that donkey because they throw, you guessed it, water at the donkey. Pashrala, they melt the donkey and the woman emerges. Now, Yanai, people see him. He's riding on. No longer a donkey, but on a woman, doesn't look very good for him, Bishuka in the marketplace. Okay, lastly, says the Gemara, and almost concluding our interesting, weird, weirder, and weirdest stories about sorcery, witchcraft, and the like, says the Gemara, let's go back to Egypt, let's go back to Torah, Egypt. The Pasuk says, Now, this is not going to be witchcraft and sorcery, this is going to be the the actions of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But once we were talking about Kinim, once we were talking about Egypt, once we were talking about the out-of-natural occurrences, we talk about HaKadosh Baruch Hu's out-of-natural occurrences. So the Pasuk, uh, in an in a interesting way, Rashi in his Perush al Torah brings attention to this, does not say Vata'al or Vata'alu Hasefardi'im, in plural, the frogs or the amphibians. Instead it says Vata'al Hasefardi'a, which appears to say, which makes it sound like there was one sefardea. One. I thought, batecha. I thought they were in the ovens, and I thought they were in paro's pajamas. What's hat sefardea? So there's only one. Amar bil azar bil azar statement is sefardea ahatayeta. There was really initially one frog. Hishrisa. She then proliferated and filled the entire land, which means to say she brought forth many baby frogs from this one frog. doesn't even say it was a grand and great big frog. It's one frog which then spreads all the others. We'll talk about significance in a moment. Ketana'e says the Gemara, how exactly this took place is not simple. It's a mahloket tana'im, but both tana'im agree it was not just zap and there's frogs everywhere. It starts in some way with one. How so? Rabbi Akiva Omer, Sefardea Hatayeta. Again, the Pasuk says, Vata'al ha Sefardea, one. Says Rabbi Akiva, indeed, Rabbi Al-Azza, one Sefardea. Umalea, Kualeret Misraim. And from it, there was spread Sefardea throughout the land. Amalor Bilaza ben Azariah, very famous statement over here of the response of Bilaza ben Azariah, how to understand why and what he's saying. Separate, longer conversation, I think we once had partially in a different context. He says to him, Akiva, my good friend Akiva, stop with the Midrash. It's not your forte. Says Rashi, it's not difficult enough for you. And as a result, parentheses, maybe you're not getting it right. Alternatively, Maybe you're exposing matters that shouldn't be exposed. Instead, you know what you should work on, Rabbi Akiva? Uh, end your, your discussions of these sorts of matters, Midrash, Agada, and go deal with matters of impurity 
and death. Hazit. And I was the individual. Here he is. He gave a great derashah and knis. And you turn to him and say, you know what you really should be dealing with? You should go and only work for the Hebra Kadisha. Go work only in 67th Street. Uh, that bad? Okay, either you're expressing something that shouldn't be expressed, or alternatively, your mindset is too sharp for this domain. Instead, says Rabbi Azab ben Azariah, here's how it was. There was one Sephardah, one frog, it cries out, instead of creating from it, it cries out, it croaks, when the other Sephardim came. Uh, those are the two descriptions here in the Gemara. Nothing more, nothing less. Either, according to Rabbi Akiva, one brings the others from it, or according to Rabbi Azar ben Azariah, one brings the others to it. My right? question of whether they came from one, Hishritsu or Shareka, it whistles, it croaks them, and they come. The difference without getting into the specifics over here is a fundamental and foundational one with regards to how we understand God's involvement in this world and in turn, our interaction with him. Can we and should we understand all as unified? Can we see the world all as one but at the same time, we are just individual segments, which means to say Rabbi Akiva's vision of existence works as follows. It's all one. There's a singular, unified existence. And yet, I'm speaking to you, and I'm not you, but I am you somehow. To describe it as all emanating from one sifardea, essentially it was and is one, but it's still somehow disparate and separate, uh, separate items. It's Matsui Rishon, there's, there's other words we can use for it, but keep all the terminology out. Alternatively, that's too hard to wrap my head around. I can say that I have a stadium of people and they're all working toward the same mission. I call out to them and they all come to me. That's easier to wrap my head around. Bila Azab and Azariah's vision, although it sounds the same, although it appears the same, is very different. He's talking about one who draws the others to it. Rabbi Akiva says, in reality, it's really one. It's reminiscent, we discussed this on another occasion of the Gemara Masechet Hagiga of the Arba'ash in Ichnesullah Pardes. There are these four rabbis who enter into the mystical and metaphysical domain known as Pardes. They're dealing with matters outside of the regular, ordinary Torah, Ma'aseh Merkava, Ma'aseh Bereshit, matters above and beyond our simple comprehension that we're not supposed to study in regular, normal, ordinary ways. And, says the Gemara, three of them have very difficult experiences. One dies, one goes crazy, one goes off the derech ha-Torah v'ha-mitzvot, Rabbi Akiva, contemplating, talking about such elevated matters, nichnas b'shalom v'yasab b'shalom, he has a peaceful encounter with these higher, elevated, dangerous domains of thought and expression. Says the Gemara over there, most relevant to us, that Rabbi Akiva turns them as they're going in, quote-unquote, and says to them, when you see what you're going to see, don't cry out, Mayim, mayim. Don't say water, water. What's he saying with water, water? What we've suggested in the past is that existence begins with water all over the place. Is the world not? There's only then a separation between upper and lower waters. To envision all as water means to tap into a reality beyond human comprehension, to see existence as entirely formless, to see it as godly throughout. Can you really see that? I can't see in this table divinity. I could somehow understand that it all comes together under his domain, under his supervision, but it's all him. In Odmi Levado, that Akadosh Baruch Hu is in fact all. I thought I'm speaking, aren't I separate? 
Very hard to see. That's Rabbi Akiva's expression to them. In truth, it's my mind. It's all we never really separated between upper and lower. It appears to me and you, we work in a domain which appears and seems like there's not water, there's not God all over the place. That's the Rabbi Akiva's expression over here as well, in which he says it comes from one sefardea, but then there are separate pieces as opposed to separate pieces coming to one. Says the Gemara very briefly. We won't go very briefly onward. What I will tell you is the Gemara will now continue in which it goes back to the Mishnah and has a long story to tell us in order to deal with the Mishnah. The Mishnah at the very end, well, just so we could start quickly tomorrow, tells us how Rabbi Akiva, in the name of Rabbi Yoshua, describes the difference between someone who does an action of witchcraft of Mechashefa and a person who doesn't do an action. Asks the Gemara at the very beginning, he learned that from Rabbi Yoshua? I thought Rabbi Akiva learned this knowledge from Rabbi Eliezer. And then the Gemara tells a story to to challenge the notion that he learned it from Bioshua as opposed to the Bili Aza Baruch Adonai Amen Amen